is here and it's time for DLC. Whenever you are, wherever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, making it possible, and... DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who never lets his daughter win at basketball, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Well, I mean, she's got a good, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, that's not on me. (laughs) That's not, on, that's not on me. I'm, I'm raising an independent woman that realizes the value of competition, and that's traveling. That is clearly <laughs> traveling. And it's, it's, it's the little things. Also, up top, uh, congratulations to Ozzy and Laura, friend of the show, longtime yeah. friend of gamers everywhere, and their recent nuptials. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Um, I have some big announcements right at the top of the show, Christian, I have to mention. Uh, first Kid of number all, two. <laughs> no, not no, <laughs> no, <sighs> no. Uh, still reckoning with kid number one. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, a different kind of child might be coming back. Um, well, first of all, I want to talk about the anchor show that I'm doing. New, newest, latest, best is back. As I mentioned last week, um, we're still doing it. every single day. There's content on Anchor. FM slash NLB. You can find uh, me talking about games every single day. I'm talking about tabletop stuff. I'm answering questions. Really cool functionality with this Anchor app where people can send in audio questions. So check that out. Uh, Anchor.fm slash NLB. Also, more exciting than that even is one week from today marks the 10-year anniversary of of the Totally Rad Show. Uh-oh. Big, big thing, man. Ten years ago, we started uh, TRS. And I know a lot of people that are listening to this first discovered me and the stuff that I do from that show. It still uh, has a very, very wonderful place in my heart. We're doing a reunion. Whoa. It's not, yeah, it's not going to be you know, it's not gonna be an ongoing thing. It's going to be one, one day only. But uh, Dan and Alex and Mike and Steve, everybody who's ever been involved in uh, the Totally Rad Show, we're getting together. We're going to do a live stream next Monday evening. Um, I don't have all the details yet how you'll be able to tune in, but follow me on Twitter. I'll find I'll, I'll disseminate the information that way, but it should be a lot of fun. We're just going to hang out. We're going to catch up. We're going to talk about the last 10 years of our lives and, and how TRS has in fact affected that and infected it as well. Um, so... I thought that would be a fun, fun, cool thing uh, to announce on this show. It's the first time we're mentioning it anywhere. So next Monday, Dang. the 27th. Yeah. Uh, cool. I have two questions. One is I want all the Trump draws details. And two. <laughs> yeah, Mike's doing that. Yeah. Any, I mean, let's just, I'm going to be having so many different accounts set up to ask Dan questions to try to get him to get in trouble to leak something about his new movie, which I know nothing about other than what I know about Sounds Amazing. Oh uh, man, I know a lot about trains. it. Oh. Yeah, and it's uh it is going to be amazing. Yes. Oh man. And it's from his own original idea. So he's like he's this it's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Oh. Uh, so lots to talk about. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be like an hour with uh Dan Trachtenberg and friends. <laughs> that sounds great. I love that flash film cast by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we had a lot to talk about today. Uh, Mass Effect 
Andromeda, the embargo is up. Uh, we're going to be able to talk about it. And there's lots of other things to talk about, news and things. But we have an awesome guest who's going to be able to talk about it with us. You know the DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week we're excited because, once again, DLC stands for Dependable Longtime Contributor. Because from Yahoo Games and Yahoo Esports, one of my very favorite guests, certainly one of my very favorite people, Mr. Ben Silverman is back with us. Hey, Ben. Hey, that's me. How you doing, Jeff? How you doing, Christian? Congratulations on 10 years of TRS. That's crazy, dude. Well, it's not 10 years of TRS. It's 10 years since TRS. Well, well I mean, this is the same thing. I mean, that means 10 years. 10 years ago, you had a cool idea yeah. that 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 is now 10 years old. And look what's happened to all of you. Great things have happened to all of you. That's, that's so exciting. I'm just. I'm it's going to be a fun thing. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's. Uh, we're we're all very still very proud of it and have a lot of great memories. Uh, so I think it's going to be a fun walk down memory lane and and catching up with what our uh, we're all doing now. So you better good, not good. review Assassin's Creed though. You still can't. <laughs> that's. I guess not. Journalist guess integrity. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, let's get into the show, guys. Let's start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Ben, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be the story of the week? Well, it's early in the week, so I'm sure we're going to get lots of big stories coming out later this week, mostly about Mass Effect. But yeah. uh, let's talk about a game that, uh, Jeff, I know you loved very dearly. I loved very dearly. Christian, I'm just going to assume you love this very dearly because I love you very dearly, and I want to think that you have great taste like me and, and Jeff. So... Horizon Zero Dawn, guys, this game sold really well. 2.6 million copies within its first two weeks, uh, which actually uh, I think makes it, the uh, at least according to Sony, um, the best launch for a Sony-published new IP in the history of the PS4. So it's not that long of a history, but it is a great sign for new IP and a great sign for Sony, especially I think a great sign for Guerrilla Games, who made the Killzone series and was sort of struggling by the end of the Killzone series, uh, and no one really knew what they were going to be able to do. And then, boom, they come out with this game, which I absolutely love. Jeff, again, I know that you loved it. Um, to, I mean, that, that, that's great, right? We're we're, yeah. we're stoked at those sales. That's a lot. That's a lot for a new IP. But what do you guys think? I mean, do you think? Do you think this is going to be good that they're going to move forward and turn this into a franchise? They've actually gone on the record saying this is the beginning of Alloy's uh, – sorry, Aloy. I call her Alloy. This is the beginning of Aloy's story and our exploration of the world of Horizon Zero Dawn, which means they are going to franchise the hell out of this. They're going to Ubisoft it up. Um, are you excited about that? Yeah, I am. I, I mean I couldn't love that game more. I really do think it's in my, my list of best game experiences ever. Uh, I think it is a – absolute home run. I can't wait to revisit Aloy and her world and find out more about that world. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that franchise going forward, because so much of the central mystery of the first game is like, what happened before? And you kind of find it all out by the end of the game. So I think maybe the next game will have to really explore where the universe is in in their present day, uh, much more than sort of finding out mysteries of the past. But maybe there's more mysteries of the past to uncover. Who knows? But yeah, I, I, th I do think this is excellent news. Um, 
especially, you know, I think some of us were worried that the shadow of the Switch and Zelda being, you know, coming out right on the heels of Horizon Zero Dawn may have impacted sales because people were saving their pennies for a new Nintendo system. It doesn't seem to be the case. This is a huge, huge number, and it's a great debut for a new IP. It shows that new IP can have blockbuster numbers like this, and it couldn't go to a more deserving game, in my opinion. So, Christian, what's your what's your feeling? Yeah, I've yet to finish it because I'm on just like regular person schedule um, or, or also known as dad of two. What am I doing? Uh, there's no time. There's no time. I'm so excited. Get me those caffeine pills, Jesse Spano. Um, but I, I love I love Aloy so much. I think she is an incredible protagonist. Um, I think she's written well. I think she's voiced extremely well. Um, she looks incredible in the game. The game world is so vibrant and it's a world that you want to spend time in. Like I'm a notorious, you know, main quester where I mainline open world games and, and this I find myself playing that character and I'm like, oh no, no, she would go help this random person just being like, help me. That's getting attacked by you know, uh, whatever she's getting, they're getting attacked by. And then you, you find yourself totally off the path and doing something great. And then you're like, Oh crap, I can't take down this sawtooth. I'm so ill prepared. And then, you know, your, your day is, is just magic. Um, there's earlier quotes too, though, Ben, where they had said, and I know who knows what's going to happen eventually. Um, but Guerrilla Games had gone on record saying that they are excited about the world, but they might leave Aloy's story alone and explore other aspects of it. So I don't know. if Aloy? What? You're talking about Beloy, a new character? <laughs> <laughs> no, it would need to be something else that could be like that you'd get confused for something metally because the game talks in metal all the time. It'd be like um, aluminum or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean aluminum? No, it's aluminum. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I, I think that's probably a wise decision to not necessarily keep hammering home. She's, I mean, she's already, you know, kind of. We know who she is now. We know how badass she can be, and she sort of elevated herself to you know the the savior of the of, of the world in a way. And I think that that's a story that's hard to continue to push forward. But my my I do have a little bit of a of a concern that this kind of immediacy to say this is only the beginning, guys. This is only the beginning. We're gonna we're gonna go so far into this world makes me kind of say like you know video games do this. I mean everything does this. Films do this as well, right? And. And I don't love that. I like space. I like when a game comes out and it does what it does and it's magical and a couple years go by and it remains a magical thing. And then you go to E3 and you just see, you know, a shot of the back of Aloy's head or something in, you know, 2000. You know, eighteen or two thousand nineteen, and you get excited, like, "Oh my God, they're bringing that back!" Here's our finally, we're getting our next game. I like that feeling more than okay, it's been a year and a half and like, here's the next one. And it feels a lot like the other one. And they added like a gun or like they it added might, two monsters. It might be the thing you like yet. I mean, we don't know. Like one, Guerrilla Games hasn't been coming out and saying this stuff. They're responding to questions they're getting where people are like, when are we going to, we love this. When are we going to get more? I mean, what in well, your ideal world, Ben, what do they say? No comment. Oh, she's well, dead. The exact quote is we're already hard at work on an expansion to the story. So we don't know if that's a sequel or if it's like downloadable content to this or, or what it is, but they, they said they're already hard at work. So yeah, I mean, like they decided to to say, "Thanks, everybody. We're gonna keep going and making more, more, more." And I kind of that's not the 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 feeling that I'm really wanting from a developer. What I want from a developer is, "Dude, thanks. We're so excited. This is great news. Hooray! Good job. We're excited. Thanks for loving what we made." And without necessarily just starting in on 
we're going to franchise the hell out of this franchise. Like there's just something about that because of what's happened with Ubisoft games, with EA games, and, and what's actually happened with Guerrilla Games' older games with the Killzone series, which kind of just overdid it and ran its course kind of quickly. I, I just – I like – slowing things down and letting a new IP feel like a new IP even when they make a sequel, like a, let a couple years go by so it still feels fresh and new. I, I Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from what they did. This is an amazing game, and I agree with Jeff. This is one of my favorite – this might be my favorite open-world game, uh, I mean, certainly in the last few years. It's right up there next to Shadow of, of, uh, of Mordor for me as far as the one that I've really just invested the most time into. And uh, and I, I'm really impressed and, and thrilled with what Gorilla did. Uh, but – I'm just – I'm not ready to hop back in. I, I like – I still want to just keep going back and playing this game. I don't need to have tons of DLC and this and that and more stuff. Like more doesn't necessarily mean better. It's just more. Well, yeah. just like the new Ghostbusters didn't ruin the old Ghostbusters, whatever they do with this franchise will in no way ruin this experience. <laughs> like I get it. I get your reservations. I'm usually Mr. Glass half, half empty. But it's just like we don't know. Star Wars has been great every year. Uh, Zelda, well, they say the same thing every time. We're gonna, we're excited to work on the next franchise, and you know it's coming, and it still takes too long, and then it comes out, and it's great. Like there's room for greatness. Let's hope for greatness. Well, I think you're both are right. You know, you're both. Oh, right shut because up. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's. I think Ben is talking to the franchisization of everything. You know, it's at the end of the Marvel movie. There's a teaser for the next Marvel movie, and that didn't used to be the case. You know, Godfather was a big hit, and they didn't go like. We're already hard at work on Godfather 2. You get excited. You know, it's like, no, Godfather 2 was a huge surprise to people. It's like, oh my gosh, because Godfather was a, you know, self-contained story. And I think that, to Ben's point, Horizon Zero Dawn, more than most video games, I think, is a self-contained story. It really has a beginning, middle, and end. It climaxes in a very awesome way. It you know, it has a very satisfying narrative conclusion. You've, you All the mysteries are are, you know, satisfyingly explained it. I, I understand the feeling of like, okay, just let this be for a little while at least. But I also had so much fun in that world that I can't wait to revisit it. So. Yeah. I think that's it. I think you, you really hit the nail on the head, which is just like, give us a little bit of time to enjoy it before we have to start thinking about expanding our story. Like this is an amazing story. This is a great story. Yeah. Like it doesn't need expanding. Nothing needs to be done here. Like this is, a plus job, like great work. Like, let's just celebrate that. And instead of like shifting immediately into like, how can we just keep going and go bigger and more and more and more? Like, it's been a month. It's been one month. Like, maybe yeah. let's give it six months before we start talking about that, you know? Um, right. but, but I get why they do it. It's business and, you know, there's a lot of excitement around it. But anyway, uh, still, regardless of whether or not you're like me and scared about franchises or just like Christian and stoked that there's going to be more of a good thing, um, 2.6 million copies, man. Yeah, it's good months, stuff, right? It's good it, stuff. and it, it's it's great to see great games sell well too. Um, so yes, Christian, how about you? You got a story of the week? <sighs> Are you in high school? Do you have a dream? Do you know what you want to be when you grow up? And you're willing to trust the internet with help on how to get there? And does the internet come through and deliver for you in a big way? Holy moly, this is the best. What are the best? <laughs> if stories? the answer to those questions are all no. <laughs> then you're probably in the majority. But for one guy, the answer was yes. It's a great, it's a, this is a great story. Uh, it's Corey Bunnell, 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 
was uh, people noticed his name as like the one of or the only non-Japanese name in Breath of the Wild's credits. So, of course, you know, the Internet dug in and was like, we're going to get to the bottom of this, Corey. And it turns out he they found a, an old message board post from him in a uh, translator forum, a translator's cafe, wondering, like, my dream is to work for Nintendo. How do I do it? Was, it? I this, want to get there. This message was so old that I had already been doing the Totally Rad show for six months. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> October 7th, 2007, he said he posted this. Yeah, crazy. So you were already talking about the whatever. Uh, what was what was ten years ago? What game? What was your first Twilight, game? Twilight Princess. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think the first Mass Effect was right around this time. Um, I don't remember what our first review. The iPhone game was. was just coming out. Yeah, I remember uh, sitting in the Steve's house when we were recording TRS and all of us unpacking our uh, iPhones that we got that day and being so excited. Yeah. So imagine all that you've accomplished in those ten years. And then imagining, imagine accomplishing real greatness like Corey yeah, did. Actually <laughs> achieving your <laughs> dreams. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. But he got, he got the suggestion to go to Japan to teach English. It'll be low paying, but it's a way to get you in the country. And then from there, you can use that to get into what you want to do. And, and he did it. He's credited under wildlife programming and Breath of the Wild. And he wanted to work on a Nintendo game. And not only did he work on a Nintendo game, he worked on arguably the greatest Nintendo game in one of the greatest games maybe ever created. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. His, his post, I don't know if we actually said what his post was, but it's his post uh, at that time, 10 years ago was that, uh, he, you know, his dream was to, was to work for Nintendo. And, uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, he set out to do it. He says, my dream is to live in Japan and work for Nintendo as a game designer. And now he's in the credits. Uh, I don't know if none of the stories that I read about this actually interviewed him, which he seems can't odd. talk. He doesn't want to lose his Nintendo job. He's not Todd <laughs> right. Johnson, you know. Right. Uh, but yeah, this is cool. What, what do you think about this, Ben? Yeah, uh, congrats to the dude. I mean, like that's, I you know, I think it's a it's a it's a it's cool that people, you know, care so much about this video game that they notice so many tiny things about it that I don't notice. Like that's what keeps standing out to me about Breath of the Wild. Like here's just another crazy little story that people are just digging all the way into and finding out crazy tidbits about about this game. Like this feels like another secret that, that Nintendo has buried <laughs> in this video game that is like an entire <laughs> secret of a video game. Yeah. So the I, crazy that, thing is when when people found this dude's name in the credits, they got a soul gem. <laughs> soul orb, I should say soul. Orb. If you meet Corey in real life, you get some great armor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really hard that you have to like freeze water to get to him. And you have to, uh, <laughs> these boxes and and uh, I mean, yeah, good good for the good for the guy. I mean, I don't know. I realized my dream, uh, you know, when I worked for uh, seven hundred dollars a month to be a video game website editor. So my dream, I accomplished twenty years ago. So I don't know, it took took this kid a while. It only took me. Uh, <laughs> You know, Twenty years to 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 to, to make this happen. Done but, and done. Yeah, I guess that what you know what really stands out to me is like, can you still do this? Like, like I, I, when I was coming up, you had no path. Like there was no. If I want to work at Nintendo, there was no suggestion. It was just like, uh, you know, know someone who works at Nintendo because that's yeah. the only way you're going to get there. And like in 2007, there was actually some way to get there. 
now is it is it easier or harder do you think because it feels like in a lot of ways it's easier to have a game design or a game journalism career even there's like a million medium posts and suggestions and ways to find out about it what, what do you guys think you think this would you could do this today I think that's an excellent question. Um, I, I certainly agree with you that in a lot of ways it's easier. It's certainly easier to make games. Uh, just, you know, you can literally make a game and put it out, which I don't think 10 years ago you could do unless you were part of a company that was already doing that. But now the tool set is there. The distribution channel is there. So as as a person, you can make a game and put it out. And that's that's pretty remarkable with very, you know, low, low cost uh, of entry. Um so I think in that sense, it's it's easier, but maybe the idea of actually working at a specific company that you want to work for might be a little harder because the talent pool is so much wider. Although, you know, just ahead. really, just quickly, this, I was at uh, DICE this year in Las Vegas, which is like, you know, a big game developers conference thing right before the actual game developers conference in San Francisco. And uh, Todd Howard was there being honored. And Todd talked about uh, that when he was, I don't know, in like the, you know, 90, early 90s or late 80s or whenever it was that he started, he like played some game by Bethesda, I think. And then he like drove to their offices and basically said, I want to work here. Yeah. And he had, he had a, sim- a like a similar story of like, I experienced this game from this company. I want to work there. He that's, went and worked there and created, you know, arguably the greatest RPG franchises of all time there. That's like half the stories of, of the people at Blizzard too. All the, all the Blizzard people that have the like goblets that they give out for working there for 15 years or whatever. Like they have these big award things that they give to Blizzard employees that have worked there for big chunks of time, you know, and they hit these big milestones. They do a cool thing for them. And all those guys, it's like, yeah, well, I played this game called Warcraft. And so I decided I wanted to be in video games. And so I like, I drove <laughs> to their house, you know, it's just, it was just a different time. You know, it's, it's such a, it was such a, a, a smaller world in a lot of ways, smaller industry in a lot of ways that uh, I think that was possible. And it, it isn't now, but the, the pathways are different and maybe not any less uh, achievable. I mean, yeah, it only seems different because the pathways are different. Like, I think the anecdotes will be the same as someone. The story will be, I played Breath of the Wild and it blew my mind. So I snap, I sent a Snapchat video to Corey with my own wildlife work and he saw it and now I work there. It's just, you know, there's still that like, you know, pick yourself up, go get what you want, you know, dream a big dream and, and set off and do it approach. It's just the way that you do it. Is, is, is different. I think I've told this on the show, but it's been a while. But my favorite anecdote about it is when people were asking one of the heads of Rare, like, how would you, what would you tell someone to get your job or what did you do to get here? And he kind of said, Oh, you know, don't do what I did because I would never hire me. Like, it's a totally different, like, go to yeah. school, get an education, learn how to do this. I am self taught and we figured it all out. So it, it's, it's different, but the pathway is still there. And then I, I, think I, it, I think, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, no, I mean, there's that book, Becoming Nintendo, and I haven't read it in a while, but I think it's still true that if you kill uh, a vice president of the company, you take their job in their soul. No, so I, I, I think, think that's that right. still. I'm not sure that's accurate. I think uh, that's still. I mean, there. that's how it was Becoming 10 years Nintendo, ago. 1987. Yeah, no, in the 80s, that's how it worked. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's much more like make a thing now. And, and that game that I went bananas over a couple of months ago, that uh, iOS game called Dream Quest. Uh, I mean, that's literally like one dude made this game called Dream Quest. It was had crappy graphics because he didn't know how to be a graphics designer, but he knew how to make a game and he made an amazing game. And the 
the Hearthstone developers looked at it and went, oh my gosh, this is an awesome card game. We make a card game. Let's hire this dude. And now he is on the Hearthstone team. So, I mean, that game is literally called Dream Quest. <laughs> so, uh, talk about following your dream. Uh, I think that's how, I think that's more, more likely how it works now. So, uh, but I think it's still possible. All right. My, uh, story of the week is, uh, actually a tabletop story. What? Uh, we had the Gamma Trade Show last week, which is, um, a big coming out party for all of the, uh, uh, sort of big upcoming board games, uh, in the world. And, the uh, the company that is known as Cool Mini or Not, uh, which has made a big splash in the last few years, especially on Kickstarter. They make a ton of money on Kickstarter. Their last one that just went up last week uh, is called Rising Sun. It's a new Eric Lang game. I think it's at $2.5 right now on Kickstarter for like a 100,000 goal or something. It's smashing it. And um, they announced that they're making a Game of Thrones game, a Song of Ice and Fire game. And, uh, it sounds pretty awesome. Cool Mini are not known for very, uh, detailed minis, as you might expect from their name, and, uh, really, really cool little figurines that you use when you play the game. And this is gonna be much like that. It's gonna be a, a, a war game. Um, and it, it looks pretty awesome. They say that it's gonna hit Kickstarter in Q3 of 2017 and retail stores in 2018. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited as a fan of that IP. Uh, especially the books. Um, I don't know if it's it, it, it'll be a little late in 2018. The the television series by that point, well, I think, will be all wrapped up and done. Uh, so it may hit a little late, but it certainly sounds fun. You'll be able to recreate a lot of the battles that are depicted in the show and the and the books. Um, so I, I'm pretty excited about uh, this announcement from Cool Mini or not. They also announced that Eric Lang, who is really one of the big rock star game designers right now, is. Uh, joining their ranks full time. He's becoming a cool mini or not employee. So, uh, he had done a lot of work for fantasy flight games and to get him to move over to cool mini or not is a big coup. So, uh, should be exciting stuff coming very soon for the, for the tabletop gamers out there. Now, is this, it says a song of, of ice and fire, which I associate with the, the books as opposed to a game of Thrones, like, which has sort of been associated with the name of, of the show. Is this based on the books or the show? I think they licensed the IP of the book. I think that, okay. that's what you're seeing. It's like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of a, an example. I mean, it's like by licensing the Walking Dead, uh, comic book instead right. of the Walking Dead, uh, TV series, so you don't get like the li- likenesses of all the actors and stuff. And I assume that's the case here as well. I mean, the books and the TV show are, are very similar uh, plot wise. So I imagine a lot of the plot points in the game, a lot of the battles that you'll be waging are similar across either. But I, I don't think that when you look at a, a mini, it's going to look like the actors from the, from the uh, TV show. Good. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Sounds I mean, awesome. I, I, I am, I have been disgruntled the entire time about how the books have fallen by the wayside. And I mean, I like the show. It's well acted. It's well built. It's well made. Um, but I, I am one of those disgruntled uh, Song of Ice and Fire readers, you know, Me who too. feels a little bit like, I mean, I started at the beginning. I started reading this in 1997, actually. And, uh, you know, I've been there the whole time. I traveled down to San Jose when uh, A Feast for Crows came out and got it signed by George Martin. Like, oh, you should have awesome. asked for a job. That was I, your moment. Oh, my God. I could have been uh, some sort of, do they have Jews in Westeros? <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> 
maybe I would have to go to the get, go to go to the thing to learn get the rings, be a meister, a meister. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would be a meister. That would be the Jewish version of a meister. Oh man, oh man, edit that out. Um, so, I, so I, you know, I've been there the whole time, and there's part of me that's like. Hey, remember the books, everybody? Because there's all this cool stuff that happens in the books that doesn't happen in the show. So anytime there's an IP that is actually going back to the novels and pulling threads out of there and pulling characters and pulling some of the plot uh, twists that happen there that don't happen in the show, some of the different things that happen there, I'm excited because that to me is still like the root of this. And to me is still – I know this is going to sound stupid, but it's still like – the real authentic version of this story. Not that the show, I, I, I mean, I watch it every week when it's on. I'm totally invested, especially now that it's moved past the books. Like you have to decide, are you going to like black out or are you going to move forward? So I, I've, I've been, uh, you know, going forward with the show, but, but, uh, the fact that this is based on the novels is super exciting to me. Yeah, man. I, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I'm i I'm a little bit of the book snob too. And it's because, you know, as a person that loves fantasy and sci-fi writing, it's, far too rare to find a book that plot wise is as exciting as this one, but is also written so well. Like it's, it's, it's an unfortunate truth that there's a lot of kind of poorly written fantasy stuff. And when you come across a a work that is written so well, it's like, Oh no, what you're missing out on all the great stylistic choices. The way it's delivered is so amazing. And uh, I've always, I've loved these books and it, it broke my heart when the TV show outstripped them the books, but it's a little like the, you know, people, Lord of the Rings fans who are like, yeah, Tom Bombadil's in, in this one. <laughs> Tom, Bombadil, Tom Bombadil, bitches. Yeah. Tom Bombadil argument. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I do feel like that sometimes when I get, you know, pissy about an episode and I'm like, but, uh, but the, he didn't do that. But uh, he yeah. didn't, the knight didn't do that. The knight actually, the knight of flowers left and went this. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm Tom Bombadilling. My wife is sitting next to me and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm Tom Bombadilling here. Um, <laughs> There's there's another side to this also I just want to quickly bring up, which is that you mentioned Fantasy Flight. And many, many years ago, Fantasy Flight made a Game of Thrones CCG. So yes. not not the new one, which is their living card game, mm-hmm. but it was a collectible card game, very much like Magic the Gathering. And they made a ton of these cards, and I went out and bought every one of them. Like I have <laughs> you know the Stark deck, I have the Lannister deck. Anyway, it's this big system. They had rare cards. Like the whole – was following the magic mold. And they discontinued it like, I don't know, in 2000-something, like right when the they started selling the license to the show or, or sorry, the license to the books to the show and starting to develop it. And they canned it and then they built this living card game, which doesn't use any of these other cards. So I have like three huge folders filled with I, hundreds of these awesome – Game of Thrones CCG cards um, that just have gone nowhere and there's nowhere to play it. Like you have to invite somebody over and like teach them how to do the whole thing. You have to give them all their cards. Like I don't know anybody who has any of these cards anymore. They're probably valuable I, though. I don't – you know, I, I talked to a, a guy from Fantasy Flight at Star Wars Celebration uh, the year that um, uh, the – what do you call it? Force Awakens came out because uh, they were working on a Star Wars uh, uh, CCG. They were, obviously have done quite a few Star Wars games. Um, and, uh, and I mentioned it to him and I'm like, Hey, I have all these old ones. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what you're going to do with those. And they're like, <laughs> Dude, really? can, I, can I sell them back? I mean, are they worth, I tried, looked on eBay. They're not, there's nobody's playing this thing. Aww. So I like, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little like disgruntled for a bunch of reasons. So this <laughs> specifically speaks to me. Like I'm going to give it a shot. 
get back in, especially if it's based on the novels, and, and hopefully redeem redeem myself for investing in this other one. That's cool. I mean, you bring up the, the point that uh, Fantasy Flight had, the, or I guess still does have the Game of Thrones license. So it is kind of a coup here also that this is not a Fantasy Flight game. It's interesting to see yeah. that Cool Mini or not managed to get the ability to use this license too. So cool stuff. Uh, I love that you're such a huge fan. I didn't know that about you, Ben. It makes me like you even more. If that's possible, I don't even know that's possible. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on now because we want to talk about Mass Effect Andromeda. But first... I want to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Uh, if you're thinking about playing a board game, you're thinking about your next move. You're always thinking about your next move. But you should be thinking about what your next move is in life, man. Your next move on the internet, man. And Squarespace has got your back. Make your next move with Squarespace. Make your next move with a new website, a beautiful website, a unique domain, a unique website, something that is easy for people to find and even easier for people to use. But it's got to be easy for you to make as well. Guess what? Squarespace has your back on all counts. Squarespace is a very easy-to-use tool set. You can create a beautiful website or online store using one of their award-winning templates but you can make it your own in a very easy way. It's all drag and drop. What you see is what you get. This is These are tools used by a wide range of creative people, businesses, musicians, designers, artists, restaurants, really anybody that has a need for something on the internet. If you want to sell something, if you want to advertise something, if you just want to have your voice heard, the easiest, best way to do that is by building a website using the Squarespace tool set. They have 24-7 customer support, Great. If you if you don't know what you're doing, like me most of the time, that's why Squarespace is the place to go because you can do it. You don't have to have any kind of programming background. I've been using Squarespace for a decade. Yeah, it's true. Um, I built JeffCanada.com on Squarespace, still use it to this very day. The best news is if you want to check it out, if you want to try Squarespace.com, all you got to do is go to Squarespace.com slash DLC Use the promo code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. That's pretty cool. You can try out all their tools without even having to put in your credit card. But if you do, be sure to use our promo code Jeff sent me. Go to squarespace.com slash DLC and you'll get that 10% off. It's pretty cool. Plus, if you buy a year, you'll get uh, a free domain. So that's pretty cool too. Squarespace.com slash DLC, promo code Jeff sent me. The hits just keep on coming, guys. Uh, this The first three months of 2017 are going to go down in the annals of video game history as, as just an insane uh, time for quality for big, gigantic AAA releases. Horizons. They're going to go down on the what of 2017? The annals. Oh. The annals. Uh, and we got Mass Effect. We got Mass Effect coming soon. Uh, ben and I have both been playing it. I put about 40 hours into it so far. Uh, that is... I don't feel like I'm even remotely close to the end. I think I'm on the fourth planet right now. Ben, how how much time have you put into the game? Uh, I just beat it. Oh, good for you. Congrats. I, I'm a winner. <laughs> Yay! I won! I the won galaxy the galaxy is saved. I won the universe. Um, yeah, I beat it last night. That Thank you. The slow clap. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, I beat it last night, very very late, so I'm I'm a little tired this morning. Um, but it was it was worth it getting getting through the game and finishing it. Um, you know, in part, I feel like in this in this case, like for reviewing it, I often don't feel like you have to necessarily finish every single game's review. Like I didn't finish Zelda before I felt <laughs> confident to opine on it, but in in this case, like after Mass Effect 3's uh, situation with the ending. It's like, okay, we got to see how this thing wraps up. So I, uh, a critical path to my way through it. And, uh, I still logged about, I think I'm at about 48, 48 hours, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, it's got to go probably to 80 at, at least. I think I'm at 60% completion, uh, having finished the story and then you can kind of go back and continue to play. Um, and God, there's a lot to talk about. Yes. There's a lot to talk about. Where do you want? Where do you start? That's a great question. I've been asking myself that uh, as well. And I saw your tweet this morning where you said um, that the game feels old fashioned, mm-hmm. and I really could not agree more with that. Um, it's a strange thing where you have this trilogy that's a storied franchise. It's it's venerated by a lot of people. It's, it never really was my favorite franchise, but I played through and completed all three of the first Mass Effect games. And now you have this new, what one would assume is a beginning of a new trilogy, or at least a new series of games, the new main character. Not only that, not only a new main character, new cast of characters, but a new galaxy. We are, we have left the Milky Way galaxy and we're going to Andromeda. So you have, uh, really them throwing, planting their flag in the ground and saying, this is going to be new. This is the next step forward for this franchise. But, in my opinion, it really couldn't feel any less new. It, it, I mean, there, that's not true. There are some new things, new systems. The combat system is much different. But it really does feel like more of the same to me. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think it's, it's not just that it, it feels like, okay, we've, we've sort of experienced, you know, I think a lot of the aliens, and they, they kind of, you know, rehash a lot of the same alien races. You don't, you don't meet a ton of new races. So you don't feel like you're seeing a ton of new fresh stuff. I mean, there are, you know, a lot of planet, planet activity, you you go down to planets, and you spend a lot of time in much, much larger open world areas than in any past Bioware game. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Dragon Age Inquisition, where you would have those, you know, regions that would be a little larger, and and therefore the battles would feel a little bit more, um, you know, open ended, because you're not just in sort of a narrow uh, corridor, Area which happened a lot more in the older Mass Effect games, so it definitely breaks it open in, in a lot of ways. But it just it feels like in so many ways they they just kind of didn't learn. I mean, obviously they didn't learn anything because all these games that have advanced open world action role playing so far in five years. It's been five years since Mass Effect Three. The Witcher Three came out. Mm-hmm. That's completely changed the way that we look at this kind of game and. Horizon just came out, which is a similar kind of game. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is a similar kind of game. And you see what those games do in terms of systems and resource management and the way that they refine things and the way that they kind of keep you glued to the action and keep you invested in what you're doing. And they really emphasize fun above everything else. This game has so many systems and complicated mechanical issues and sluggishness with the way it it it, it kind of makes you interact with the world that it just feels dated and wonky and like 
this kind of game doesn't necessarily need to happen like this anymore. They should have learned how to, I mean, for instance, the inventory management is a mess. I mean, it's atrocious. And didn't we already go through that with the very first Mass Effect game? That's all anyone can ever talk about when they, oh, how'd you like the first Mass Effect? Everyone's like, oh, it was good, but boy, the inventory sucked and I'm glad they fixed that. Well, guess what? They screwed it up again. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about that. Let's just dive just as an example into yeah. one of the systems. There's numerous systems that are that are really, I think, sloppily designed. But inventory, since you brought it up, is a great place to start. So you have, first of all, you have loadouts on your character, so you can carry a certain number of of weapons, and uh, you're you can find weapons in the field, but you can't pick up that weapon and use it. You can pick up that weapon and put it in your inventory, but you can only change your loadout at certain nodes around the world. So for some reason, if you find a new gun, you can't immediately start using that gun, which doesn't make any sense. And you're constantly finding all kinds of stuff, just detritus as one does in role-playing games. All of it is just text there. I mean, you you can delve deep into menus and you eventually find icons for it, but it's all just nonsense words that you're basically just collecting. I I stopped even noticing what I was picking up. And there is a very robust crafting system that about 10 hours into the game, I kind of realized was actually really cool. And the the idea that you could, you could craft, you find blueprints or you research blueprints for weapons and augmentations and armor. And then you can craft the blueprints that you've paid for using resources. And you need to craft those things with other resources. And you can actually craft guns and armor that are built in with these augmentations. So you can actually affect the weapons and armor in ways before they've even been made to turn them into like much cooler versions of themselves. And that's kind of neat. Like I created an assault rifle that has like heat sinking plasma. Every bullet is heat seeking plasma. So it's not, it doesn't shoot regular bullets. That's cool. But the problem is when I'm looking at the list of things to A, research and B, develop, which is a two-step process for some stupid reason, I have no idea how those guns are going to behave. Right. I'm looking at the infiltrator gun or the, you know, whatever cuckoo gun and they're just text on a screen. They actually handle and behave in wildly different ways. I'm talking like Borderlands 2 level variation in the way guns behave, which is a cool thing. It was very cool in Borderlands. But I have to make those things and I don't have any way to test them out or see what they do before I decide to invest my resources in them. Yeah, it's maddening. And even just the part where, I mean, just to back up, you know, you said that, like, let's say you want to build a new helmet and you have the blueprint and you've researched the blueprint. So now you can craft it if you have the right ingredients. Finding those ingredients is like a crapshoot because you look at your list and it says that you have, you know, you need iron and magnesium and, you know, cheese whiz and some whatever cloth. And you're like, okay. And one of them is red. And you don't have any of it. So you go, okay, well, I want to go find some magnesium. Well, where? Where do you yeah. go? I don't know. You, you can't highlight it. You can't say, I want to go try to – what planets have magnesium? You just – you go out into the ether. You scan planets. You wander around and maybe you'll find magnesium or whatever it is. You have no idea. And you don't get like a note when you find something that you need that something lights up somewhere. There's, there's just – there's nothing that helps you – 
kind of discover these cool things about the game. And I think one of the things that hurts, as I mentioned before, that, you know, The Witcher 3 came out and that really changed what we expect from these games. Destiny came out, which changes what we expect from weapons. Weapons in Destiny are sexy and exciting and you get one and you're like, look at this thing. I can't wait to use it. This thing looks rad. It's got a name and everything. It's got a personality. It's like it's its own character. And these are just little strings of text, you know, You've got all these different kinds of assault rifles, for instance. There's the Pathfinder, which is kind of your kind. There's you know, the Falcon, which is like a grenade launcher. So there's the Falcon 1, the Falcon 2, the Falcon 3, the Falcon 4, the Falcon 5. Like, yeah. It's literally Roman numerals. Like I, I, Half the time I would run around with four of the same weapon because I didn't read closely enough at the tiny iconography that it, I had a Falcon 2 and a Falcon 3 because right. it's like it's, – it's the worst – looking interface in terms of getting you excited to use anything or invest in anything or explore anything. And that's a killer for a role-playing game, which is all about kind of empowerment and, and the power fantasy and growing your strength and your, and your skills. And on the flip side of how bad they handle the weapons, if you're in the field, you can switch out your powers, which are like your biotic abilities or your tech abilities, which is like, you know, using the force basically or flames or, or, or whatever, you can swip, swap those out on the fly yeah. at any point, but inexplicably you get a gun and it takes like 20 minutes before you can actually use the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I never thought I would say about a Mass Effect game is that the best parts of it are the third person shooting. Um, I mean, it, it, historically, this game really was a sort of spiritual successor, spiritual successor to you know, Knights of the Old Republic, those old Bioware games. And it really was a role-playing game first and a combat game second. This one feels like a third-person action game that has a lot of dialogue. And the third-person action stuff is fun. It's super fun. Uh, th there's so much more movement and agility involved in fighting. You have a burst. You have this, like, jetpack that you can use at any time, as often as you want. You can shoot around the environment, and you're shooting stuff and blowing things up and using your powers and all that stuff. And as you said, gone is the idea of a class that you select at the beginning and then you level up those skills. You can be any class in this game as long as you've unlocked it. You can be any class at any time. You can be any assortment of abilities at any time. And that's pretty cool. Like, I mean, I, I like the ability of, uh, you know, the, a lot of these role-playing games, it's like, well, I'm making a decision at the beginning based on no information. Like, do I want to be a Vanguard? I guess. Here we go. You know, but at least in this game, I can decide what I like later on. And you get like bucket loads of skill points when you level up. It's just like, here's 12 skill points. Go, go nuts. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think they wisely, you know, tried to refine some of the squad stuff so that even though you have squad mates on your planet... I, you know, I, I kind of went back and forth like, oh, I wish I could kind of equip them and play as them and do these other things with them. But I think a lot of the time I didn't really mind that they were just sort of roaming around doing their own thing and you can kind of level them up a little bit. Um, so I, I think in some weird ways they refined things that maybe didn't necessarily need refinement and then other things they completely ignored and made so wonky and crazy – like all of these random systems, in addition to, uh, you know, crafting and buying and selling and, and your skills, you've also got, um, what are they called? The AVP points, not aliens versus yeah. predators, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, um, it's Andromeda viability. viability points. Yeah. Right. So when you, when you kind of build outposts, you, you get these 
points. It's really unclear. You scan things and you get some points. And then you can trade those points in for some other bonuses. There's strike missions, which are sort of a sort of online-ish kind of mission that can get you more stuff. There's just like a billion of these little wonky things that all take forever to load and to find and figure out what you should be emphasizing. And I think the biggest, most egregious part of all this is, is that the quests and the questing, which is like the backbone of any role-playing game. Like, you get quests. This game throws so many quests at you. Like, you just accidentally pick them up. Like, you go to a planet and you just... Hey, there's a guy and I can press triangle to talk to him and you talk to him and crap, you got another quest and it goes into your little journal and you open up your journal like, okay, what quest do I want to do? And instead of telling you what quests are on the planet that you're on, it tells you where you got the quest. So if you open up the thing and, you know, Eos or whatever, a planet comes up, it'll tell you all the quests you got on Eos, but it won't tell you where you're supposed to go for those those yeah. quests. So like you never really know where the hell you're going. You never know what quest to follow. I mean, the, there's the, a way to the quest menu system is draconian. It is absolutely <laughs> totally. meant to drive you insane. And totally. I mean, there's literally a post on Polygon this morning saying, "Hey, people that are playing Mass Effect, ignore the side quests. Don't do them because they will drive you insane." And I kind of agree, dude. There's a lot of really fun, cool personality quests, you know, that's a hallmark of Mass Effect games. But most of the quests Nobody seemed to ask themselves, is this fun? Is this fun to do? You know, right. especially in light of having just played Horizon Zero Dawn, which literally every single thing I do in that game is a blast. Like there's no filler. None of the open world quest stuff feels like fluff. It feels all essential and awesome and it all contributes to my understanding of the world. Meanwhile, in Mass Effect, so many of the quests are, you know, go get five of those things for no reason. Or it's really just go push a button, walk over here and push a button. And it it couldn't be less interesting. And as you said, the menu system is, is completely borked. The waypoint system is worse. I can't tell you, you have to get to your map. You have to press the button three times. And I was popping in and out of that map every two seconds just to find where I was headed. And God help you if you follow the, the waypoint system, because if you are on a different level, if you're standing on a different level than where the quest uh, is, it wants you to go, all it will tell you on the waypoint is how to get to the exit of that level. So it won't tell you where you're actually headed. It will only tell you how to get to the exit of that area. So I found myself just like walking back and forth to different exits <laughs> just because I was following the waypoint. I was like, this is getting me nowhere. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's no mini map. Like there's no built-in little like Grand Theft Auto thing that tells you, okay, there's a road here. If I go – if I go straight, I'm going to hit a mountain like that I can't get over with my rover. So I got to go around – like these basic things. And you know, you mentioned Horizon Zero Dawn and I mentioned The Witcher. What kept happening to me as I was playing Mass Effect Andromeda is that I – I kept thinking of all these other games that were doing all of these little elements better. So even the conversation and dialogue system – and I would say that Mass Effect Andromeda has – a, a, a good story. The story is fine. Following the core kind of plot is okay. I didn't love sort of the aliens and, and it felt, a lot of that felt sort of derivative, but I accepted it. I thought some of the writing was good. The voice work is okay at times. It's, it's really hit or miss. But I kept coming back to Telltale Games who have taken this concept that Bioware sort of pioneered, right, which is choice and consequence, 
and have blown it out into a million different games and have done it so well and in impactful emotional ways. When you think of The Walking Dead Season 1, which came out the same year, incidentally, as Mass Effect 3, and stole that game's thunder. I mean, I think for a lot of people, The Walking Dead Season 1 was the game of the year. And it was because it made choice and consequence so important. And it it made it so that when you made those decisions and affected that that you know the girl's life, you really felt it as as a person. You weren't just Lee; you were a person feeling these things. Uh, so there's something about that they're going back to their old system, and they've they've made a few small tweaks. It's not just Paragon and Renegade. There's a little bit more nuance to it, but none of it feels like it really matters. None of it feels like it carries much weight. And you know, every turn you find other games that do what this game's doing better. And yeah. even though they throw it all in, it's a kitchen sink game. They throw everything in here. They, they just don't smooth it out and polish it, which comes you – know, brings us to the biggest you know, topic about this game, which is the animations, which has set the internet on fire. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of a red herring because while the facial animations on humans for sure – it doesn't just glide over the uncanny valley. It builds a home in the uncanny valley. It really does. I mean, there's a lot of problems with the facial animations with humans. I just want to point out the aliens, like the Krogans, look awesome. Right. I think the Solarians look incredible. Like there's good work in this game. It's just technically they, they put so much in. I think it's too big and they just it can't crunch at all. And it just – there's frame rate problems. There's you know animation problems. There's just problems with the technical back end of this thing because it's such a large endeavor. Yeah. I, when I play a game like this, whenever I, I launch a new big role-playing experience that has character customization, I always call it narcissism, whatever. I spend an inordinate amount of time trying to make the character look like me. I just love that. I just enjoy <laughs> like walking around, like putting a new hat on my character. It's like, it looks like me. You know, I, I, try, I try to make all my characters look like you too. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Um, I did so uh, at the beginning of this one and, and spent a lot of time in the character customization, which it could be its own podcast, how weird the character customizer is in this game. Like you have to start with these templates and you, you can't start with the actual like default writers, male or female, like you can't affect them. They, they want to keep those pure in some weird, for some weird reason. Anyway. Um, but I, you know, I spent a long time and I made a guy that looked fine. He didn't really look that much like me, but I was like, okay, this is my dude. I started the game and I played for about 15 minutes and I was like, oh, oh, I clearly slid some sliders in the wrong direction. This, <laughs> this is bad. Oh, gee, oh, I, I'm not going to be able to spend 40 hours with this guy. Uh, okay, all right. I'm going to start over. I unfortunately can't skip any of this stuff, so I'll have to replay the first 15 minutes, but I'll just do it using default writer because I don't want to mess it up. And it really wasn't any better with default writer. Nope. I was like, oh, it, that wasn't me doing that wrong. That wasn't me just messing a slider up. That's just how it looks. And... It's really unfortunate. They, it, it's it's very doofy, and and honestly, a lot of the thing my character says are pretty doofy. He's just like a doofy guy, uh, and that and that's unfortunate. Having said all of this, and there's a lot. I mean, we have a lot of complaints. We've we've heaped a lot of complaint on this game. I did. I've put a lot of time into it. I have had some fun. I think people that are huge fans of the Mass Effect franchise are going to actually like a lot of it because it it harkens back to a lot of the things that those games did well. There's still a lot of content, uh, a lot of, you know, characters, space characters that you'll find out about, space drama that you'll find out about. I just think from a narrative perspective, it's a massive missed opportunity to be placing a game in a brand new galaxy 
and have it be fairly indistinguishable from the old galaxy. Like if you just were dropped into this game, you wouldn't know that it was in a new galaxy. Yeah, there's some new alien races, but it, it basically works the same. You could have had a really interesting idea of coming to this galaxy. And I love the concept of deciding how you're going to people this world, like trying to find a planet to settle on. That's a really compelling sci-fi concept. It's just, I think, wasted in the context that it's placed in in this game. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said, but is it fun? And it just feels like there's so many decisions that Bioware made here that were not in service of, is it fun? And, you know, maybe some of this has to do with bad timing. Maybe if this game came out, uh, you know, last year before we had Horizon, before we had Zelda, we'd be a little more forgiving of some of its wonky systems and some of its flaws. But uh, but that's not the case. It, it came out when it came out, and it's on the heels of two of the best open world games, uh, role-playing oriented games. Now, they're a little bit different, obviously, but but they scratched the same itch, and they both came out back to back, and and it's impossible not to overlook that. I mean, I will also say that you know, uh, Christian, who I hope is still around, he might be uh, asleep at this point. I think he has a long white beard at this point. <laughs> Christian mentioned that, you know, he's a normal human being and therefore, unlike you and I, is not like mainlining Mass Effect for a week. I mean, I, I you know, what I said, I had about 50 hours on the game. I played it for a week. So that's, do the math there. That's, that's a lot of hours a day. And I, you know, I have a full-time job and a family. So it's a lot of late night weird hours where you're just grinding through this thing. I think if you played this game at a slower pace and maybe, you know, allowed yourself to just do a few quests and weren't trying so hard to kind of reach these, you know, plateaus that as reviewers we have to reach, you know, maybe it, it, it has a better experience. Um, that being said, I did the same thing with Horizon and I could not wait to get back in front of my PS4. Right. Whereas in this case, it was like, ah, oh, crap, I got to go, I got to go play more Mass Effect. Yeah. And it's like never a good sign for, for years. Uh, you know, we, we go through these, these ordeals. Um, and I think there is also something to be said about the fact that when you, when you review a game, when you play it like this, its flaws stand out. You, you, you can't overlook them. Because you can't just turn it off and be, oh, I'm a little irritated by the quest. I'm just going to ignore it. Right. Like, you know, no, you got to fight through that. So we really do see those issues. And the fact that you and I, I think, share so many similarities in, in our opinion here, uh, you know, there's there's some real problems. It's really a bummer. Um, but I do agree there are some there are some high points. There will be some people who can overlook some of those mechanical problems. Um, the combat is surprisingly good. There is a good game buried beneath all of the junk. It's yeah. just, do you have the patience to, to get there? I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Christian, I know that you, one of the things you were saying to me was, strangely, was almost like, thank goodness I don't have to worry about this other gigantic AAA game, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I think this sounds like the perfect March game for any other year, right? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, right. I, totally. I, I just, I can't, and I think it's going to sell well. I think it's going to do well. This isn't me trying to poo-poo on Xbox One only owners, but you know that console, like Wildlands, sold really well. You know, we are all. I say I'm a regular person. Uh, you know, that just means I'm not reviewing games for a living. Like I have no need to try to beat this beforehand or whatever. But you know, I want to play it to experience it to be able to talk about it on this show and and, and you know have opinions in the world. 
But for, you know, Sue Gamer or whatever that maybe owns an Xbox One, hasn't found a Switch yet, you know, this is a franchise that is beloved and it sounds like it does enough right to satisfy people. It's just hard to come out as a seven if I'm going to, you know, put an arbitrary number on it based on what you guys said and other impressions I've read when the year has been Resident Evil 7, Neo, Nier, Horizon Zero Dawn, Zelda, Persona 5, I've heard, is maybe the game of a generation. Uh, and like all this stuff stacking up. Torment, that to Tides me, of Numenera. Yeah. I mean, what's the, that? Torment, Tides of Numenera. Like there's, it, there's a, a ton of gigantic games. Right. And so for me, as someone that was like, oh, no, this will be the one that finally gets me into this franchise because I've played all the others, never beat them. I was excited about a fresh start. I thought the combat they showed looked cool. I like cool, interesting combat. Like I love I love Nier. I, that's why I like Horizon so much. And to know that I don't need to rush out and, <laughs> and play it right now makes me feel good. I, you know, you never want a game to be bad, but it makes me feel good that I don't need to add this to the top of the stack. I can put the seashell up there and travel for a little bit. There you go. Uh, well, what have you been playing, Christian? What is on your playlist? Uh, quickly, I want to mention On a Roll, which is the a video game. I, I think the only video game I've backed via Kickstarter, and I have no regrets doing it. I think I backed at the $20 level to get access to the alphas and betas they're making. It is a, a rollerblading game, but in the vein of Skate versus there was a game, Aggressive Inline, that came out years ago, GameCube era. That was the Tony Hawk version of 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 that and on a roll it's two two devs working on it and it's meant to be the skate approach a realistic approach to inline skating i still love inline skating i have a soft spot for it always will and the new beta came out or the new alpha came out for it i I spent a little time with that man you can take some pretty pictures in it like it looks good you know to like oh yeah it's gonna be a great game it's not there yet (laughs) i hope it i hope the controls get tighter and the gameplay becomes a little more fun because while Skate is a slower game than Tony Hawk and you need to spend time, you know, you can just session on one rail for a while. Um, and I think that's what this game is trying to do. It's a little more complicated and, and tedious and it is fun at this point. So hopefully that game continues to progress. I know it's coming out for consoles as well, but uh, that, that two-person team is still working hard on it. So I'm excited to see where it comes. But right now, if there's another opportunity to throw money at it, wait a little bit (laughs) you know hold hold on for a second before you do that and the other game it's perfect that uh you guys talked for a while because i don't want to say much about it but i I think you should check it out (laughs) it's called future unfolding i was provided a review copy so just up front about that i'm playing on on pc and it's the type of game that the less you know about it i think the better time you'll have with it i've heard it's 12 to 15 hours i'm not that far into it i have not beat it um it it's beautiful art kind of dreamlike it's from a top-down perspective you're a little person and you just you start in these a little person a a, a small perspective person (laughs) um and you're in these woods that have like this paint um beautiful colors and there's no tutorial there's no instruction. You go in to start to read about what to do. There's there's nothing. And you're just in this world trying to figure it all out, um, how you progress, how things unlock, what you're supposed to be doing. 
um, I think there's two prompts that I've come across in the game that just say like, hey, maybe try pushing this button. But even when I did it, then it wasn't like all of a sudden it was like, do, 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 you win. You know, like you did it. It was just, oh, that's how this interacts. And then your, your brain is like, oh, I guess I should play with that more. And I haven't spent enough time with it to say it's journey or something like that, that this is going to come together in this beautiful experience that it leads me on this this quest that up, up front feels frustrating because you're like, what am I supposed to be doing? But the world is beautiful. The color palette's great. The the background music is relaxing. So like, just stick with it. You know, hang in there, kitty cat. I don't know if it's going to come together, but if you are looking for something that is maybe more relaxing and more open-ended or you're, you know, you're playing Zelda and you're enjoying that um, feeling of discovery, this game very much is built around that, it seems. It's just you start, you play, you figure it out as you go. And it's not, you know, the graphics aren't impressive in terms of Horizon or, or even Zelda or whatever, but it's a very pleasing color palette. When you run through flowers, they'll kind of spread or mush behind you, and it gives it that very dreamlike uh, approach. And it's it's worth checking out. It's really, really cool. And uh, again, it's called Future Unfolding. And uh, again, I was provided a review copy, but uh, I think it's worth checking out. At least watch some videos, but don't learn too much. <laughs> I don't think you want you don't want to learn how to win. You just want to see if it's a game you might be into. It's it's tough. It's tough to talk about. To say, check it out. Just trust me. But like, don't. But like, maybe look into it. <laughs> <laughs> and some simple instructions. It's I feel hard. like I'm in a it's Mass hard. Effect menu. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you can craft it, but then you don't know if you like it until you play it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ben, you know, you were on a, a bunch of times, and we were always, you know, talking about what the switch was going to be, and you know, wondering what we what what was going to how it was going to launch, what it was actually going to be. And I, you have not been on since it has actually come out. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the switch and your experience with it, your experience with Zelda. Um, you're still playing, you're still putting those, I know you were, you know, grinding on Mass Effect as I was, but what is your, uh, Switch life like? I like to think that my grinding on Mass Effect was just a vacation, a Zelda vacation. (laughs) I just was taking a little, little break from Hyrule for a minute because I had just been, you know, immersed in that world for a couple weeks. Um, Zelda's spectacular. It's just a spectacular video game. I know you guys have gone on about it. Everybody has gone on about it, so I'm not going to go on about it. It's an incredible piece of work. And, uh... Uh, you know, as someone who grew up with the original Zelda being <clears throat> for a long time my favorite video game, um, you know, it's really special finding a game that I think in a lot of ways exceeds it, exceeds most Zelda games, exceeds um, my expectations from what Nintendo was going to make. This feels like a game that like everybody at Nintendo was working on. Like you I feel like N- Reggie was at some point sitting down at a computer like, oh, I got to code some trees. I got to get in there. Like every single person at Nintendo was building this game, uh, including what's his name? Corey, right? The, the, yeah, the yeah. legendary Corey, even Corey. They're like, well, let's uh, hire this guy. I, I read his Reddit post from 10 years ago. <laughs> we need another We need a guy to make some apples. <laughs> uh, so I, I, it's an incredible piece of work. Um, but I think it's uh, done a hell of a job obscuring the problems with this little console Hmm. because, uh, you know, I got a lot of problems with this little console, uh, other than this one incredible video game. Uh, and the fact that I do enjoy that I can carry that video game around with me. Um, I I just, I am just really bummed out by, by all the little problems. Just like as we were talking about Mass Effect, there's so many little issues with the Switch that I feel like, why why wasn't this solved? Why wasn't this tested? Why didn't anybody check this out before they just sent this console out into the world? Like, 
like you know all of the little problems with the, the Joy-Con controllers, which I've been experiencing. The uh, kickstand, for instance, when you're on an airplane and you put the kickstand up, the viewing angle is way too low. You can't actually sit in the seat and look at the thing. You have to scrunch down into your chair, and if you pull the kickstand out further, it breaks, and you got to put it back on. Like. There's that. The, the charging thing is on the bottom. So if you stand the thing up, you can't charge it at the same time. The grip that comes with the thing can't be charged uh, because there's no charging dock in the Joy-Con grip. So if you want to play it uh, with your Joy-Con controllers, which can't be charged independently, you have to put them back into the system and plug it in or you got to leave it on. There's just so many of these yeah. weird Little problems. Well, the data management. There's a bunch of articles written this week about data management, which I didn't even pay attention to. But it it's bonkers. It's like it automatically will download a game to a to the hard drive if you want, or it'll automatically go to the SD card. If you want it to go to a specific place, you can transfer it, but no, you can't transfer it. But you can delete it and re-download it in another place. I don't know. I it's like it's insane. It's all it's all weird and not thought out. I yeah, and I feel that way about a lot of the stuff. Like it just feels hollow. Like there aren't cool little Nintendo sounds when you move around the menus. You go to the store and it's just like, here's a game, buy it. And like you go to your friends list and it's like, here's what Jeff's doing. Here's what Jeff did. Not even like here's really what Jeff's up to. It's more like, yeah, he's online, he's playing Zelda. But that's it. Like I can't do anything with you. We can't we can't do anything. Right. And and I feel like people are giving Nintendo a pass on that stuff, and I'm not. I mean, it's been it's been a decade since we've been able to have some sort of social interactions with people uh, in our game consoles. Nintendo's had a lot of opportunities to, to figure this out and to get it right. And for them to once again ship a system with just like nothing going on in that sense and just so many broken elements and emptiness is frustrating for me. And it's the stuff – like uh, Jeff, I, I believe that you don't just buy a system. You buy an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. You buy everything around that. You buy – the exclusive games, you buy the games you don't get for it. You know, like you're buying into that. You're buying into the fact that you're not going to get third party. You're not going to get Red Dead Redemption. You're not going to get third party games on this thing. Like not a lot of them. And I think Nintendo really had to come out and and present a really strong ecosystem. Instead, what they've done is present yet another weird, flawed, wobbly ecosystem. But they've covered all of it up. With the greatest video game ever made, so, <laughs> yeah, but Zelda. It's so not. it's easy to it's easy to say the Switch is awesome because I get to take Zelda in the car. But imagine a world where there is no Zelda. <laughs> imagine, imagine you can't afford it. You like just imagine you lose your cartridge. Yeah. I mean, imagine any scenario where you have a Switch and you don't have Zelda. Yeah, and you're bummed out, man. So that's not worth three hundred bucks. Yeah, somebody right. was like, um, "We need to make this the largest Zelda." Ever so that there's something for people to always be doing with this thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a, the, an alternate point of view uh, to some of this stuff uh, that we got. We got an email sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can always send us emails about anything uh, on the show. We love hearing your feedback. This comes from Daniel Elliott. Uh, he says, uh, hey, guys, love the show. I just wanted to bring a positive light to one two switch that seems to be missing from a lot of the conversation around the game. Also, considering Christian's uh, taught dismissal of it. Uh, I work with middle and high school aged youths and I bought, uh, I brought one, two switch a few days ago and uh, brought it into play with them. It was a hit. 
The silly nature and simple mechanics of the games meant that I didn't have to spend a long time explaining what to do, and even some of my youth who didn't play games often were easily able to jump in and have fun. The simple joys of reacting to the HD rumble was easy laughter from having to stare at each other in the eye made for a uniquely positive game experience. We really got into it and with the games we played, even so far as having uh, to have fielders during baseball who mimed catching fly balls, meaning even those of us who weren't holding the controllers could still have a great time playing the game. I understand from a technical and mechanical level how the game can be criticized, and the $50 price point is definitely hefty. However, seeing my group of youths enjoy this game, as well as myself with them, it made it worth every penny. There is something wonderful about how joyful and silly this game is, and while it certainly means it isn't going to be a good game for everybody, it has been a great game for myself and the youths. Uh, so that's a different perspective. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, fun people doing any activity together can be fun, <laughs> but, um, I think that's, I think that's great. I'm glad that this guy's having fun with one, two switch. Christian, yeah. Christian do you want to that respond makes, to this? That makes one person. <laughs> well, and his youths. Yes. So like eight people. Or something. My, my youths. I'm very glad they're having a lot of fun with one, two switch. If you are in a similar situation, maybe this game is for you. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Remily in the chat says, my kids love one, two switch. So I do think it's a crime that this game was $50 and not a pack in. It, it does not make any sense that it wasn't just a pack in proof of concept of how this game went. I, maybe they looked at Wii sports and went, man, we could have made so much money with that. Why did we just give that away? <laughs> <laughs> what they don't realize is they did make so much money. With that, <laughs> right. Right. <yeah>. Like <laughs> they sold systems because of that. Right. Like they, they sold the game separately. It was just, Three hundred dollars to buy the game or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, anything else you guys want to want to talk about on your playlist, uh, Ben? Anything else? Uh, you know, I'm playing old games still, man. I'm playing a lot of Clash Royale, and I'm playing a lot of Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, which was like a few years old from EA. But I'll tell you the reason why I'm playing it. It's like a turn based, you know, free to play. You could probably dump a lot of money into it, but I, I try not to do that with Clash or Star Wars. Uh, one of the reasons why I really like playing it is that uh, with all this new hubbub around, you know, Force Awakens and Rogue One, and there's going to be the you know Han Han Solo movie coming out. Um, it's like the the they're really quick and they're really good at integrating those characters into a game, so you can actually play as the characters from Rogue One. Like you actually could play as them and download them before the movie came out. Mm. And kind of get used to their abilities and kind of, you know, if you just saw the movie and you're excited about it, you don't have to wait for them to show up as DLC and, and you know, Battlefront if you're you know, still playing that or whatever. Um, it's just kind of a cool way of bringing together all of the Star Wars universes. They actually have some characters from the cartoons uh, and they come in as playable characters and you can kind of build a squad and you kind of constantly are acquiring new heroes and building new squads. Uh, and it's got really good gameplay. I still really think it's got... Interesting balance and interesting strategies is how you build teams and stuff. And it's free. It's it's older. It's been around for a few years now. But uh, I, I keep coming back to it. I play it every day for you know probably a half an hour. Um, it's one of my go tos. So that that's been a big one. Cool. And then one game one game that I know you're playing that I'm playing too. And if you wanted to talk about it at all, is Type Shift from our friend Zach Gage. Yeah, man, he's great. He he hooked me with Spell Tower uh, a while back, a couple of years ago. And his newest game is another word game. It's called Type Shift. This is I'm playing it on iOS. Um, I think it's also available on Android. It is uh, deviously clever and 
another it's it's amazing that people can find new word games because i feel like the word game thing has it's hard to find a new take but uh he managed to do it and this is it's really cool it's basically um three rows of letters and the center row you're trying to spell uh words in the center row and you do that by sliding each of the the columns of letters up and down. It's like if you were unlocking a padlock and it, you know, we're sliding and you're trying to f- get the right combination in the center and you're sliding numbers up and down. Um, and there's a certain number of words that are, that they're looking for, for you to finish the puzzle and move on to the next one. And if you find those words by sliding up the letters and constructing the word in that center row, you get to move on. And um, the game is free, but has a bunch of packs of puzzles that you can buy through microtransactions um, there are a ton of f- free puzzles and some of them actually even are even built like crossword puzzles where you not only have to find the right word, but you have to match that word to a clue, a crossword puzzle style clue. Uh, and those are really smart too. It, it, it's, it's one of those games that I can play, you know, on the toilet <laughs> I can play, you know, in, for in two minutes and just like uh, occupy my brain. And it's, it's really hooked me, man. It's great. That dude's a genius. He really is. He's a really smart dude. Zach Gage. And this is called Type Shift on iOS. It's free, free to download. Um, but you know, be wary because it has, <laughs> it has hooks. It has hooks. All right. Let's move on now, uh, to, uh, VR talk. We don't have to spend a, a ton of time on VR talk today, but, um, I know, Ben, you've been playing some, Robo Recall, which I can't stop playing, man. This game is so fun. It's so fun. It's so fun because it just gets right to the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like grab these touch controllers and just smash up on some robots. That's all you're going to do, but you could do it in a million ways. You got these guns. You could just tear them apart with your hands. You've got the over the shoulder rifle bit thing you can do. Like, I, I really love this game as a. Uh, as kind of like an intro for Oculus Touch controllers for gamers, right? Like I wouldn't have someone who's not familiar with VR like grab it because it's kind of intense. A lot's happening, but but if you're a gamer and you're like, okay, I want to like see why VR is cool um, for like for for a, a kind of classic video game perspective, this one maybe the Unspoken, but I think even this probably before the Unspoken because it just is so crunchy. And just yeah. gets right to like just blowing stuff up. Uh, really cool game. I'm really glad that it's it's free, right? I think. I mean, I'm playing it for free. I think it's, it's free, free if you bought the uh, touch controllers. That's why it's free for me. Okay, so yeah, is can you even play it without the touch controllers? No, you can't. But okay. yeah, yeah. I don't. Right. Yes, I don't so know you, why. It's... So you'll get it free, right? So I mean, this is it's a terrific uh, experience tied to the touch controllers. I'm a little bummed it didn't come out with the touch controllers. I think it would have been a nice way to to help sell those, but. I think selling VR is uh, is a bigger task than any one game at this point. So. That's true. I mean, unless unless there was some you know massive IP that was exclusive. If there was a you know Half Life Three was exclusive to VR, I think we Breath of the do- Wild. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> um, I totally agree. I mean, I think this is it. it immediately proves why VR. It, it's sort of like unlocking all of this potential in first person in Robo Recall. It feels like. Yeah, there are games like Bulletstorm or, you know, a bunch of others where you can do all these wild over the top things by pressing buttons on a controller. But to be able to just reach out and grab something and throw it or reach out and grab an arm and yank it off and, you know, reach out with your gun and shoot things, it, it, it just feels completely 
natural and you don't have to now manipulate a controller in any way. You're just doing the thing that you would do if you could be a super overpowered, awesome guy dismantling robots. Yeah. And they really don't clutter it with a lot of other stuff. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's some, you know, kind of gamey bits in there. uh, But it, it really just sort of, it feels fun and they've just focused on the fun part of it. And they really kind of, uh, I think Epic smartly wants to connect you to the things you're interacting with and let that be the star of the show. So that ability to, again, tear robots apart right, with your hands and shoot them in different ways and watch how they react, it just gets to that kind of kinetic joy of virtual reality that you can't get when you're holding a controller. It just it dials right into it. Um, and, and the fact that it doesn't cost you anything if you've already got the controllers is, 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 is brilliant. I wish Nintendo learned a thing from, a thing from them. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Christian, you wanted to mention something? Oh, yeah. Uh, raw data, I just noticed this morning. I don't know when it happened, but I noticed it this morning. I was sitting down to record is out now, like on Oculus uh, for real before I was playing it via Vive or Steam. And, you know, just uh, it looked like I had Vive controllers in my hands. I haven't fired it up to see if it's updated, but I saw it was in the Oculus store and you and I have both sung its praises before. So if maybe you've been wanting to play it, but didn't want to try to hack in, if you, uh, you know, do the workaround, if you have an Oculus and touch controllers, maybe open up the store and check it out. It's so good. It's so good. And it's fun to play in co-op. You and I should, we we really should play in co-op. It's it's really fun. And then in two weeks, I thought it was next week, but two weeks we'll, I'll have something else to talk about. Yeah. I think we both will. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Um, Philip wrote us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He says, uh, hey, guys, big hello from Prince Edward Island in Canada, place where you get all your fancy oysters from. <laughs> he says he loves the VR segment. He says, my question is why VR mods have why VR mods haven't been covered a little more in the show, especially since many of them have such high quality. The games that he's gotten working on the Vive, full motion control support and room scale, include Penumbra Overture, GTA V, and Doom 3. These are full games that can be played through the Vive, and oh man, it is amazing. It's a shame that many people complain that there are no full games for VR, but we have these amazing mods that let you experience these games with room-scale motion support. Unfortunately, many of them only support locomotion movement in the in the movement options, but it's still pretty awesome. Another quick tidbit about Serious Sam VR. I've seen so much coverage about The Last Hope, but no one seemed to notice that uh, Crow Team released the whole first game in VR as well. Yes, it's early access, but it's the whole game, not just another wave shooter. There, this needs more attention. Thanks for the show, Philip. Um, I, I the only mod that I've tried in VR uh, was Minecraft, which now is actually an official release in VR. You don't need to do the mod, but it worked out really, really well. So I don't know why I haven't tried more of these. I just always assume that these mods are a little janky, and then I'm going to puke because the games weren't really made for it this way. But I love hearing that Philip is not finding that to be the case. He says that they're awesome and they work great. So I've seen, I watched a lot of videos of the GTA five mod, uh, which looks wild. Um, it's like, it's third person, I think until you jump out of a car and then it's first person and you can shoot stuff in first person. Pretty rad. So maybe, maybe people will try these more. I'm on the barfy train with you, man. They, I, every time I try them, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, none of these games like you know use best practices for VR. They're not optimized for it. it. It's a lot of you know just kind of janking it together to get it to work. And it's cool that it can work. And it's kind of cool to like you know look around inside the environment and see Doom Three all around you. But um, I'm glad to hear that that Philip is not finding that to be the case. So maybe I'll give these more of a shot. Thanks for the email, Philip. 
All right. Uh, let's move on now to some quick questions. You can always submit quick questions for us uh, by sending emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. There's a stickied thread for quick question submissions. Loving to get these uh, really uh, fun questions that we've been getting so far. So here's our first quick question from Zach Brown. He said, what's the worst title of a video game? Uh, he specifically brings up that Horizon Zero Dawn is a pretty terrible title. I have to agree, although the game does explain it at a certain point, but... Um, I think Horizon Zero Dawn is pretty terrible. What, what do you have a do you have a worst title ever for a video game? Um, oh oh yeah. What is it? Irritating stick. <laughs> Irritating stick. Irritating That's, stick. That might be an amazing title for a video game. <laughs> if, well, if it's really a game about a stick. Uh Irritating Stick. What the hell was that game about? I thought that game was a little bit like if I recall, it was a little bit like Kicks. Remember that game where you like draw lines and like make boxes? It was like a arcade game. Q I X Kicks. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit like that. I don't really remember. Man, it was a PlayStation <laughs> game. Irritating stick. I have a copy somewhere around here. Yeah. That's always been my favorite. I think the objectively worst title of a gaming related thing is the Wii. I mean, I know everybody, it just sort of sounds normal now, but it is objectively a terrible name of anything. The Wii? Come on. Uh, that's not a game, but whew. Uh, Zach also mentioned VVVVVVV uh, or whatever that game is because you can't talk about it to anybody. <laughs> it's pretty awful. Uh, Christian, do you have a worst title for a video game? Yeah, the worst title, I just tried Googling it quickly and I honestly can't remember it. Um, the one I – because it's the, it, the problem, it's like Battleborn. It's just – what? And there was like three of them that came out around that time that was like War Hate, yeah. Hit Punch. And I'm just like, I don't. I don't there, know. There was a game that came out years ago called Wargasm. No way. Wargasm. Oh, that's pretty bad. Pretty well, bad. the one I was going to say was Warface, mm-hmm. which is an actual uh, free-to-play online shooter, Warface, which I used to make fun of and just like – because it's all one word when they write it, Warface. And I was like, if you just separate it wrong, it's it's a game about the fighter pilot uh, who who then worked on the Starship Enterprise. Warface. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite one that I make fun of, it's one of my favorite games of all time. I, I love the series, but I constantly give it crap if I'm playing it and streaming it, is the Uncharted series. Because it's a cool name. It's a fun word to say. But I think it's funny because it's like literally that whole game, you're following charts. Like, <laughs> like yeah, Uncharted, yeah. You're... <laughs> the maps exist. He's not drawing the maps. He's following existing maps. It should be called like un- Clues not yet put together like the charts are there that's what he's doing he's finding the charts uh when we were doing trs 10 years ago i don't know i keep saying that uh alex albrecht used to always call it uh drakes he was like oh have you played drakes and i was like (laughs) yeah that's actually a better name (laughs) um there's been a lot of terrible terrible video game names I'm yes. sure the audience could come up with a lot worse. I mean, those like, as you said, Christian, those like hyper generic ones that are just like combinations of vaguely violent sounding words. It's like we got this copyrighted. I think. Yeah. Is what... <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. All right. Quick question. Favorite graphical style? Photorealism, cell shading, completely animated, etc. This comes from I'm Space Ghost on the subreddit. Ben? Not photorealism. Um that's probably as far as I can go. I mean, I don't think there's like a graphical style that I'm like, yeah, look at the <laughs> style. That's, that's everything. I mean, cell shading when it's done well is cool. I think Telltale's done a really good job with that. Um, 
I, I we look just came off Mass Effect Andromeda, so again, like photorealism, I am man, that valley is is rough. Yeah. That valley is rough. So I tend to like things that that look um, big and bright and colorful and creative. So like I'm more drawn to Overwatch in terms of mm. kind of its its character designs than I am to Call of Duty uh, and those character designs. I would say I like fantasy. I like big. I like. Uh, playful. A little stylized, a little animated. Yes, yeah. I like okay. that. Christian? I'll take not chainsawing happening outside my place. If that started back up again, if it's driving anyone else crazy, it's been going since 6.30 this morning. Um, I, I will always choose art direction over pure graphical fidelity. And I think looking at something like the HD remakes of Wind Waker versus Twilight Princess, like that, for, that happened to be cell shaded. It looks so beautiful and it will withstand the test of time better than photorealism. And I think that's the reason why, um, 16 bit and 32 bit or, you know, old side scrollers still look great in those bit eras because they were working with art direction and, and not trying to do realism. And then we started to do realism with, you know, whatever the example is, GoldenEye 007 on Nintendo 64. When I played that at the time, I was like, that is Pierce Brosnan's face. <laughs> we did it, game. <laughs> we did it. And, Indistinguishable you know, from real Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally the same. No He's one... going to chase a volcano. <laughs> this shrunk is him game. down, shrunk him down, and got him into a video game. It's yeah. like Tron. No yeah. <laughs> one can tell the difference. If you walked into a room right now, uh, I think it's cool that we can even have this conversation because that's, you know, we've gotten to the point, like you said, Christian, where art direction is more important. It, it's not about uh, the limitations that graphics are giving you. It's more about the decisions that the art team has made to express their vision. So I think this question at all is pretty rad. I guess uh, the way I'd answer it is I think, I think hyperrealism is what I like. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the cell shape. I mean, in, in, obviously different projects are different things. I love Wind Waker. I love how it looks, but I'm not a huge fan of how, for example, uh, Borderlands looks. Um, but I would, I would say that like hyperrealism, like you find in Horizon Zero Dawn or, uh, like the Deus Ex games or, or Prey that's coming out where everything is almost like hyper lit and hyper colorful and just like more intense than you would find in realism. Um, that I think is what I respond to most often. Um, but you know, it, it really depends on the project. All right. Quick question. This one comes from Gagobio4. He says, with the rise of digital games, there seems to be a trend of not including any sort of artwork, manual, etc. with physical copies of the games. Do you ever think we'll see the rise in artwork again, much like there was a rise in interest in vinyl records? Or are we doomed to only have cover art, a seizure warning and the disc, and a seizure warning and the disc in game boxes? Ben, what do you think? Uh, I mean, this is definitely a, uh, you know, I have an emotional... I have an emotional reaction to that question because, uh, you know, yeah, growing up, those game manuals were everything, you know, yeah. and not just not just the manuals, also like, you know, looking at the back of my ColecoVision box yeah. that housed the ColecoVision had all these screenshots of like tunnels and trolls, these games that some of them never even came out like that one that just I would just stare at them and my mind would wander about how great this game's going to be if I can ever find money and go to Fry's or whatever and buy it. Like this is, you know, it's so alluring 
the art and the, and the things that would come when you would buy a, a physical copy of something. Yeah, but it was like uh, that was the thing when if your mom took you to the store to get a game and then she had like six other errands to run, that was what filled your time. It's like you got to read the manual as you were hauled to the cost plus and you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you stare at it and oh, unfold the Zelda map and like yeah. look at it again. Um, what I will say is that I am eight bit is trying to change this. Um, I don't know if, if anyone out there is familiar with I am eight bit. Um, our friend John Gibson uh, runs that company mm-hmm. out of Los Angeles. They do all kinds of cool things. They do a lot of uh, collectors editions for games. They do sort of special one off. Uh, art projects. They do pop-ups in LA. They have published a few different books with game art and stuff. And they've done a really nice job, I think, of creating special, you know, vinyl that have the soundtrack for a game that you can buy separately. They kind of do supplemental uh, callbacks to this era, right? Mm -hmm. So even though a game publisher isn't going to necessarily drop the coin to like print out all those manuals and stuff their boxes full of paper again, like I kind of get why we're moving away from that. It's not... It's not super environmentally friendly. I, I even hate when I get these giant game boxes with like nothing in them. It's stupid. Um, it should be on a smaller – like I don't know why the game disc – I mean I have boxes up in my office. I have all these game boxes and I like to look at them but I don't really need them anymore. Right. So um, I like that there's this thing where you can go to IMA Bit or go to like a, a secondary source and sort of like I really want a, a precious physical keepsake for this thing and get that if you really want it. Um, Christian? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's been nailed it. We'll, we're seeing a shift in that stuff, and that stuff does exist. Another limited run games does a good job of putting together some of these, these smaller games and giving you physical copies of them and, and building out that world. But you don't need the instruction book or the back of the box stuff anymore because that kid now being schlepped along to cost plus, which, you know, shout out to growing up in the, in the bay for a little bit. I think that was a pretty specific reference that a lot of other people. I I hated that place. Might not get, but I get, they had gummy candy. So for a while that made it. I hated the smell of that place. I still can't stand the smell of that place. And it, the worst thing was it was right next door to a Chuck E. Cheese. So it was like torture that I had to be in there and not in the Chuck E. Cheese. Right. <laughs> they had gummy colas. That was always like, I bet, can we at least get gummy colas? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like now, you, I mean, for better or worse, our generation, we roll our eyes because we're old timers. But the, you're on the phone, right? Like you're looking at screenshots or you're watching a Let's Play of the game. You don't need to be you pouring over this game manual that said there still is something cool about that thing where like i watch my daughter you know she's eating four almost four and a half so like having cereal for breakfast and then one day she said like dad leave the box i want to look at it and i was just like oh i guess it's just a thing kids do it's still <laughs> cool was there like a game on the back or like a, a word jumble something there was there was a word jumble but it, it, was, it was life cereal and had like a word jumble and she was it was just enough you know to keep her interested for those five ten minutes but you're seeing those collectibles come out i have i got the horizon zero dawn collector's edition it has a nice art book but i think it's kind of cool now that you get to pick the things you want to have the knickknacks from and whatever and you know maybe you pay extra for it but that world still exists it's just grown up with us and it's different than the pack in with the game well i think they figured out that they could charge people for that extra stuff is it you want the art book you want the awesome art book you want the cool collector's edition that has stuff in it my kid calls those um 
like toy catalogs. He calls them menus. He's three. <laughs> and so I say like, oh, I want to look at my menus. And he's got like a stack of like Thomas the Toy Trains and like Target. Like we'll just get one of those things in the mail from Target. And he'll just like make a stack of menus. And then like when he's eating cereal, he'll like flip through the menu and be like, I got to get this. We don't have one of these. I got to get this. And I'll start I'm like, with a light appetizer of Lego. <laughs> exactly. Move on to the main course of some... Mm, we're going to need some Paw Patrol figures. We're out of Paw Patrol <laughs> figures, Father. Um, I mean, you know, I'm turning him into a uh, awful consumer. Consumer, but it's, uh, uh, at least he's looking at something physical, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have you know, I have some collectors' editions of uh, like World of Warcraft expansions and you know and stuff, and, and they're awesome. But I also wonder why I have them. And every time I move, I go, I should just get rid of these. <laughs> ah, no, I'll stick it on the shelf and never look at it. So I don't know. I'm conflicted on this one, but I definitely am with you guys. When I was a kid, you know, my favorite video game of all time, Ultima Seven, came with a cloth map. And it came with a rune. You got a physical rune in the box. I mean, there was nothing cooler to me at all. I could look at that map and go, oh, my God, I'm going to go over here. And this is uncharted land. There's an island off the side. It was just – it was amazing. But I'm conflicted. All right. I'm going to get for your birthday. But now I know what to get you for your birthday. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, guys. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Um, I do need to thank our guest, Ben Silverman, for being here. Ben, as always, you are awesome. Thank you for taking the time with us. Thank you for having me. I've been playing that damn game all week i was so excited to talk about it and all these other things jeff so yeah, i feel like we could have gone on another hour about that um and it, it, there's just so there's so many uh yabbits on that game there's a lot of yabbits it's like yeah but um but uh where can people follow your work on the internet Oh, well, I'm still at the Yahoo Esports. Uh, it says on my business card, managing editor, but I believe that just means I'm like managing, like I'm managing, like he's dealing. He's okay. <laughs> he's like, he hasn't collapsed yet, editor. He's, he's managing, you know, like he's I'm doing fine. Okay. He's yeah. fine. He's, yeah, he's handling it okay, editor, is what it probably should say. Uh, so if you're interested in the esports, definitely come by. We've got so much going on. Esports is such a big thing, and uh, it touches just about every part of gaming now, for better or worse. Um, so I'm doing a lot of that. I'm on the Twitter uh, as well, uh, Ben underscore Silverman. And uh, yeah, I'm bumping around, podcasting, doing things. I, You know, I'm also uh, – today we'll be publishing my Mass Effect Andromeda review on Yahoo. I do some uh, contributing uh, editor. That's what it says on my business card for Yahoo Tech and Finance. So uh, my review will be floating around the network if you're interested in hearing all of my yabbits in words. <laughs> awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, you do have our uh, parting gift, I should mention, coming up. So stick around for that. Uh, Christian, what else do you got? What, what do you got going on this week, man? I have a stand-up comedy album out. It's still out. There are two actually out. One is called Moment in Time. It's my first one. The second one, the newer one, is We're All Going to Die, which we are. Um, (laughs) Three new marriages sketches are out right now. You can find them on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713 You guys should check those out. They're fun. I'm in them. You are in them. You and Chris Quintos, my co-host of my parenting podcast, Department of Parenting. This week we start once a week. They drop on Wednesdays starting this week because Chris is going to be out of the country for a while. So we wanted to keep content going, but at the same time we were like, we are, there's no way we're going to do enough to keep two a week going <laughs> the whole time you're gone. So that shifts to once a week. And then Twitter's the best way to keep in touch immediately. It's at Spicer. And then um, I bought a second Switch dock because I'm that guy. So I have docks on docks. Docks on um, docks? Why do you so need that I, second dock? Stell's into Breath of the Wild, man. All right. 
So I won't be streaming it as much because I'm playing it at, like on my non-streaming TV where she lo- she loves it. She lo- and I was like, we'll, we'll do this. So um, you can come over and peek in my window. And then I think uh, uh, I don't know if I'm doing it yet. I'll announce it. Twitter's the best way. The other things that are coming. So uh, I think that's I think that's it. Jeff, what about you? If you want to hear me talk about games every single day, including tabletop stuff, check out my show on Anchor, which is called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find that by going to anchor.fm slash NLB, anchor.fm slash NLB every day, every single day. And uh, it's it's pretty fun. People are digging it. Um, I also have uh, a movie and television a review show called the Slash Filmcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Train Spotting Two, and um, I also do a science comedy show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Also follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada. All right, guys, let's get right to our parting gift. Always like to leave you with a little something to get you through your week. Uh, ben, you have a suggestion to help people out that might not be a video game? Oh, so many. But let me just pick one, which is something I keep coming back to, the Great British Bake Off. Not the American one. You ignore the American one. You always ignore the American versions of the Great British things. Don't you know that, people? <laughs> just like happened with The Office, given The Office in America was okay, but it was not as good as the British one. Likewise, the Great British Bake Off with Mary Berry and... Uh, whatever the guy's name is, Frank Hollywood, Todd Hollywood, whatever his guy's his last name is Paul, Paul Hollywood, real name. Uh, they teach you how to bake things. Wow. And it's one of these reality shows where you love the contestants. Every one of them are totally lovable and British. And there's a little meadow and they're all self-deprecating <laughs> and they're all trying to bake things and they don't really do a great job all the time, but you feel like you could do it too. And they're talented, sort of like on Face Off or on one of these Project Runway shows where you're watching people who are really you know, talented craftsmen. This is a great show. My wife and I watch it all the time. We bought the book. We've baked some things. Oh, I man. am totally breaking tradition and stereotype by being a Jewish male baker. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to reclaim this for my people who are really just burn things pretty well. Uh, so yes, Great British Bake Off. Find it on your uh, – I think it's it's actually off the air now, but you can find it in your various uh, uh, streaming services. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix. I love that you bought the book and you're like uh, – in the book version, as Tom Bombadil bakes a whole lot more stuff. <laughs> It's really true, guys. You can't make you can't make Lombus bread uh, on the show, but in the book, bread. Uh, I have heard so many great things about the Great British Bake Off. I really should should watch it. My wife's a baker too, so we should we should watch it. I, everybody keeps telling me it's so fun and, it. and wholesome and positive and wonderful. Do it, do it, Christian. What's your parting gift? It's hype train, man. Blink One Eighty Two is releasing a deluxe edition version of their album California. And it has 11 new songs. That's, That's a, like a, another album's worth. I know. And some of them were recorded during you know, the recording session for California and then didn't make the cut for that album. And some were recorded after that. They released a single, Parking Lot. And it's, ooh, oh, it's good. It sounds like some old school blink. Travis is out there hyping it, saying that he thinks it's better than Cal- – like just the 11 new songs is maybe better than the original California. Man, I'm so excited. I'm – if people don't know, 
and you might want to know, you should know and, and get excited. And also, Ben, the only baker I have room for in my life is Baker Acres, um, from Daniel Tiger. So you leave, you leave the bacon to the, <laughs> to the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, so we, we, we don't have any, uh, we don't have any Baker Acres in our neighborhood. So I'm trying to be that for my neighborhood. That's okay. Good. I'll take the trolley over then. Okay. Cool. Uh, you guys are talking in code now. I don't understand. You'll learn. You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> Here's a few years, buddy. Um, well, speaking of things that happened in the nineties, Christian, uh, with Blink-182, um, reviewing, uh, T2 train spotting, the sequel to train spotting uh, on the, the slash film cast, uh, which is spoiler alert, really good. Um, I went back and rewatched train spotting. Have you guys watched train spotting since 1997? <laughs> because I hadn't. <laughs> that was um, the last time I saw it too. Yeah. I missed the nineties so much, you guys. I really, I want to go back to the nineties so bad, you guys. <laughs> I, I'll give up my VR and my smartphones to just like spend another month in the nineties. Cause everything was so much nicer then. just hey, play some more people, mass some effect. people are trying. I mean, we're yeah. getting there whether we want to or not, you know? Yeah, I guess. Um, Jeff, play more mass effect Andromeda. That's kind of like living in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. It's like living in 2000, whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, I would, I would say uh, it's, it's a fun movie to revisit. It's, it's such a glimpse into nine, into nineties culture. And, uh, it's, uh, it holds up. It's really, you know, it's still powerful. It's still dark. It's still interesting. Uh, Ewan McGregor is still really good in it. Um, and it is absolutely required viewing if you're planning to see the sequel because, um, it never has a movie, I think needed you to see the, the movie before it more <laughs> than, than the sequel. It is really, a uh, an interesting experience. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Ben Silverman and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room for hanging out with us and uh, enjoying the show in real time. We appreciate your real-time input. It does make the show better. We also appreciate you downloading the show and listening to it later and maybe, I don't know, giving us a high marks review on your platform of choice. Five stars is always nice. Also, mentioning us to your friends. That's how we spread the word. We will be back next week with more stuff. In fact, next week, uh, I wanted to get a, a Mass Effect super fan on the show. So I, I called up the, the person that I know loves Mass Effect most of all the people I know. And that is Andrea Renee. So she's going to be here uh, next week, hopefully defending it or at least ex expressing her opinion as somebody who loves this franchise. So uh, until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>